Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. With me right now, Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante will be joining us a little bit later. And making an appearance via Skype is the one, the only, Josh Newberg. Josh, I'm waving to you. How's it going? Hey, guys. What's up, fellas? <laughs> he's, he's ecstatic. He's excited because we get to talk recruiting. Uh, there is actually uh, a home football game this weekend. Florida State's hosting NC State in its home opener, and that means you know prospects are going to be on campus. Uh, there's two big ones. Uh, particularly, so let's jump off with with recruiting guys and and the the big names that are gonna be on campus. Yeah, it's uh, about time we get back into recruiting. A lot of people asked what's going on in recruiting or where's the momentum, and it's just hard to manufacture when Florida State's been dealing with the things that they've been dealing with, especially because they don't they didn't just have time off. I mean, there was a lot of concerns and planning going on with that hurricane looking like it was heading their direction so campus was closed you know a lot of things were going on where it, they didn't just have time off to recruit but they did get out on the roads last friday and uh you know we saw them out all over the country really everywhere from texas to north carolina south carolina georgia alabama uh, most of the kids in florida their games were canceled that's why we didn't see them hit some of those bigger name targets but you know they did get to go see number one player in the country Justin Fields they were at his game Randy Sanders was there Um, you know and they went and saw some other guys but this weekend we got a nice list of visitors coming in actually this is probably better than I anticipated what do you think Chris yeah I didn't really I didn't really expect an official visitor this weekend with it being a noon kickoff and everything that's happening a lot of kids waiting for that Miami weekend I didn't really expect a big one and we actually have two big official visitors yeah so I'll run down the list just hit on some of the big names the two official visitors are five-star offensive tackle Bray Walker. We'll talk about all these guys in depth, but it's Bray Walker is in on an official and four-star linebacker Dax Hollifield. He's on, in on an official. Um, to, to mix in there, you also got top D-line target Dennis Briggs. That's a Miami FSU battle, so this is an important visit. And then I like the fact that some commits are also going to be there to kind of sprinkle in to help the staff recruit. Uh, during the game and in pregame. So you got Amari Gaynor is expected to be there. He's kind of the bell cow of this class. And Christian Armstrong, an offensive lineman from Georgia. Um, Chris, you want to you wanna talk about Dax's situation first? Sure. What, da- what's going on with him? Dax is a talented linebacker from Shelby, North Carolina. Bill Miller went up to see him this past Friday. He's a kid that FSU has been heavily involved with throughout his recruitment. He was last on campus back in April for an unofficial visit. FSU is contending with North Carolina, Virginia Tech, South Carolina. Stanford's also kind of in there, but really more so it's those first three I mentioned. A lot of people think it's very much a North Carolina-Virginia Tech battle. Um, So far this season, he went to South Carolina last weekend for an unofficial visit. He's expected back at South Carolina for his official on October 6th. That's Miami weekend for FSU. That's why he's not coming in that weekend and why we're probably seeing him come in now instead of after that weekend. And, uh, you know, with FSU, it's a matter of kind of take a big swing this weekend, hope you can make up some ground. They're certainly not in the, you know, number one position entering the weekend, but they're involved with him. He's interested. Him and his father are both, you know, fairly serious football people. Dad's a coach. He's a player. Both of them have kind of gone through this journey together. Dad, I believe, likes FSU from what I've been told. He likes the staff here. He's hit it off with the people he's dealt with here. This is FSU's opportunity to kind of take some of those inroads they've made and, you know, go deeper with the kid and hopefully make a lasting impression that will hold out when he takes these other officials down the road. He's not in a rush to decide, so FSU's going to have to do a lot of recruiting after this visit to kind of stay in the mix with him. Excellent. Now uh, I'll talk about five-star offensive tackle Bray Walker. 
he's out of Moore, Oklahoma. He goes to Westmore High School. Uh, Bray Walker has been committed to Oklahoma since November of 2015. So here's a guy that's coming in. Now, I wouldn't call Dax Hollifield a long shot. I, I, I think FSU certainly in the mix, and, and you know it, there's a realistic possibility they could end up signing him. Uh, Bray Walker would fall into the category of long shot. But what Florida State is not afraid of is to swing and try to hit a home run on, on, on these visits. Uh, Bray Walker is the number three offensive tackle in the nation, number one player overall in Oklahoma, and 18th in the country. Uh, pretty big player coming in, and I think they're going to have a couple of these guys. And I'll tell you what, if Florida State can get three or four of these long shots on campus, I don't know who it is, but they're going to land one of them because they do a great job of rolling out the red carpet on these official visits during the season and making sure that they leave a lasting impression on some of these guys that they know this is probably going to be the only opportunity to host them on a visit. Um, so Bray Walker's coming in, shoot your shot, see what you can do. And, uh, you know, we're going to see FSU land one of these guys. Yeah. Beyond the two official visitors, they're going to have a few unofficials as Josh mentioned during the intro part. The biggest one of those is probably Dennis Briggs, a defensive uh-huh. lineman from Kissimmee gateway. Dennis is a kid who's in no rush, but he's taken a lot of visits. He's been to FSU multiple times. He's been to Miami multiple times. He's seen a few other schools in that fashion as well. But at this point, it's very much an FSU-Miami battle at the top for him. The reason he's coming in this weekend for an unofficial is his team is playing Friday night. They're playing Tallahassee Leon up here. So it's an easy turnaround for him to just stay in town and go to game the next day. But he's a kid that, you know, he's hit it off with Odell. He's hit it off with Trickett. Trickett's his area recruiter. Odell's kind of the guy that I think he identifies the best with on the staff that he's kind of connected with. He could be a strong side D end. He could be an interior D lineman. He's still kind of grown into that body, and he's a bit of a tweener as far as being inside or outside guy in FSU's scheme. But he's a talented kid in a year where there's not a lot of great southeastern defensive ends, especially big-bodied ones. So if FSU's interested in him for that spot, it kind of makes sense why they're putting so much effort into a kid. Um, you know, his ranking is three-star. A lot of people look at that and kind of hesitate on him being called a major target. But for FSU's needs, for his ability, for his proximity to campus, what they see on film, what they like about him, he is a major target for them. And he's a kid that, you know, they're going to push really hard to get a real good lasting impression for a game day visit, and then he'll likely take an official visit after the season. Yeah, he's been a guy that we've seen uh, go back and forth with these Miami and FSU visits. Uh, like, you know, he was on Saturday, he was at the Miami practice in Orlando. He's from that area, so it made sense he stopped by. Uh, I think you and I kind of agreed when he did not commit at the end of summer to Miami, we really knew Florida State had a, had a real shot here. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things where he had visited FSU and, and was making a return trip to Miami, which he had just taken like two weeks prior. So it kind of looked like one of those scenarios where like, okay, well, he, he's seen FSU, he's seen Miami, now he's going to commit to Miami. And we both agreed, like, if this thing goes into the fall, then I like FSU's chances. Uh, do you still feel like that? Because I do. Yeah, I mean, I still feel like Miami is a favorite. If I had to pick one over the other, I would pick Miami over FSU. But I feel like the gap is fairly non-existent. You know, I, I think if the kid truly knew based off of everything he'd learned up to this point in his recruitment, uh-huh. it, it would be done and it would be Miami. But it's clear that he wants to see more. I think he wants to take in game day atmospheres at both schools. He wants to see how they perform on the field, what the depth chart at that position looks like after the season, how they performed during the season. And, you know, he's in no rush. He's one of those kids who's emphatic with us every time we interview him. 
that he's going to take unofficials, he's going to take officials, he's going to decide later in the process. He has never once been in a rush. But I think it's certainly a good thing for FSU that his decision did not come during the summer because at that point I think it was certainly Miami. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Miami and FSU, that game is in a couple weeks. And from everything I've been hearing, it's going to be a loaded visitor list. Um, I think a lot of the prospects that FSU recruits out of South Florida will be there. I've been told that to expect Asante Samuel possibly on an official visit. Um, I think Patrick Sertain will come up. I don't know right now if that's going to be official or unofficial, but I'm expecting a lot of the top targets. Um, we could see Warren Thompson back in town. Uh, we could see Justin Fields at that game. It's going to be it's going to be the recruiting weekend of the season. Yeah, Have you N- been hearing similar things, Chris? Yeah, Nadab Joseph is a kid that is yep. telling me he wants to come up for that one. He wants it to be as official possibly. Trey Hill is another young man that has told me he likely will be at that game. I don't know if that will be in an official or unofficial capacity. Now, I think there's a few guys, a guy like Justin Ross, for example, the receiver from Alabama, that you kind of want to get him in for a big atmosphere, and it's probably going to either be Miami or Louisville, and you want to give him a chance to kind of see it and see the offense in action. He's a kid that wants to see a quarterback thrive and do well. He's going to base his decision largely on quarterbacks. Real quick, another big-time official visitor that I expect for the Miami game is Jalen Waddell. Uh, Tim Brewster was there on Friday night at his game, and on – Monday morning, I got a text from a good source saying that, that, that uh, that's been locked in, that official visit date for the Miami game. And we had EJ Holland of our Texas site, who has a good relationship with Waddle, reach out to confirm, and we're just waiting to hear back from him. But from what I'm being told, it looks like Jalen Waddle will be in for an official that weekend, too. Yeah, and four-star corner Houston Griffith from Bradenton IMG Academy. He's already confirmed that he's coming in for his, for his official that weekend. And he's a guy who I certainly think is on commit watch. I think he's just kind of waiting to get back here and take another visit. It would not shock me at all if he commits coming out of that visit. Uh-huh. Then, you know, or there's, shortly thereafter. There, there's guys like, uh, you know, depending on how things go with Dax Hollyfield, there's guys like Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, major linebacker targets that FSU would like to get back on campus. We don't know at this point if they're coming in for Miami, but you certainly aim to try to get kids on campus for what you expect to be an outstanding atmosphere. Yeah, and it will be. Um, the Louisville game will, will have some prospects at it too. The interesting thing I want to see is how many official visitors FSU is willing to take on during that Miami week. I know that it, you know at the most on a game week, you know, eight, eight, I think eight official visitors is kind of hard to handle. Yeah. So I don't know how how they're going to mix in um, top targets with commits uh how, how you know how that ratio is going to work out so it'll be interesting over the course of the next two weeks to see how this strategy forms yeah i mean the big thing with the figuring out the list of officials is sort of who do you have to devote a great deal of time to and who can you afford to maybe not be as hands-on with a commitment would be an example of that right. The right the right kind of commitment some commitments you have to be hands-on with they want to feel that love but Say, for example, a guy like Amari Gaynor, I don't think they would have to be very hands-on with. Amari's or Asante so, Samuel, I don't right. think they... You know. Those guys are going to be more so a recruiter for you in that weekend than a guy that you're recruiting on that weekend. Some commitments you're still recruiting, some commitments are recruiting for you. There's a difference between the two. So, yeah, that's certainly true. And, you know, kickoff plays a role in that. When it's an evening kickoff, you know, you, you don't get dinner with the recruits that night. You're, you know, getting ready for the game, starting at 2, 3 in the afternoon. You go well into the morning. It kind of makes it difficult to spend a whole lot of time one-on-one with a recruit. 
as compared to a noon game where you can do breakfast, you can do dinner, you have breakfast the next day, it's a little bit easier to navigate. So those are the kind of things you always have to balance when you're deciding on when to bring in a prospect and when not to bring in a prospect. And truthfully, another thing with it is you sometimes don't want to bring in two guys at the same position that you want at the same time because, you know, it might turn one off and the other one off if they're looking at it as one spot and they're both there. Sometimes you have to balance, you know, which kid you bring in when. Fully agree. Should we spend a minute on Justin Fields? Because the people want to know. It wouldn't be a, a Knowles 24-7 podcast without Justin Justin Fields' update. Sure. He was wearing a T-shirt, yeah, a Florida State he, T-shirt. He wore an FSU shirt this week. Then he wore a Georgia shirt this week. He wore an Auburn shirt after playing last weekend. So Damn, he's just, what have we he's learned? just he trolling a, everyone. He has a lot of college football T-shirts. I That's like what it. we have learned. I like it. Um, like Josh mentioned earlier, Randy Sanders went up to see him, watched him play last week. You know, I think that matters, but I don't think that's one of those things that's monumental domino in the recruitment. Every school is going to go see them. But it was important for FSU to finally make their way up there when they had not done so before the Alabama game. Yeah, and just to let people know on that, the staff, you can visit a recruit one time as an eval visit. So that's Florida State's one visit. So, you know, when people say we need to be recruiting a guy harder, the rules the rules kind of dictate how hard you can actually recruit a, a prospect. And they use their one visit on field, so that'll be it for the rest of the season. And, and like Chris said, it's it's really uh, just fundamental because we know every team that's involved with him is going to go do the same thing. So, um, But FSU got it done now. It was a good time to do it, especially since they don't have a bye week after this. Uh, the only bit of news I really have on fields is that I know that as of um, Monday night, the staff was in touch with the family discussing plans for an for the October 7th visit. Like I said, nothing's set yet, so I don't know if that's going to be official or unofficial, but the way that FSU plays it might tell you more, might maybe tip his hand on the timeline, because if we see Justin Fields come in for an official visit for Miami, then I think we should expect a decision, you know, relatively soon. And then if they push it for an official visit, say in November or December, if he comes in for an official visit, an unofficial visit for the Miami game, that means they likely expect him to come in for an official later. So yeah. that could be telling as well. Yeah, and this weekend we expect him at Georgia. That's not 100% done. His dad spoke to Rusty Manziel from our Georgia site yesterday, and the family wasn't 100% sure what they were going to do. But a teammate of his, Stephen Peterson, the receiver, expected to be in Athens. I think it's likely Justin shows up in Athens. Yeah, and I think FSU, it, uh, you know, the FSU staff expects him in, in Athens this weekend yeah. as well. That, that's a hot spot for Southeastern recruits this weekend. One, it's a good game time as far as allowing recruits to travel to it. Noon for FSU is not. And two, it's a matchup of two ranked teams. Pretty good SEC game. So Yeah, they're going to have a huge visitor list for uh, for Georgia this weekend. So, yeah. you know, it's just the place, like Chris said, it's the place to be in the South. Wouldn't that be two weekends in a row for him? Uh, yes, two weekends in a row. Yeah. Last weekend apparently was a uh, softball weekend, which deals with his sister who's going there for softball. So that's part of the reason the family was over there last weekend. Obviously, he wanted to go for football, I'm sure, too. But yeah. uh, that was actually mentioned by Rusty in his report this morning talking about the dad and you know them not being 100% sure yet on plans. Last weekend, the softball played into it, too, because it really was for both kids. It wasn't solely for Justin. Um, but FSU is going to be in this boat in two weeks. We're going to have a real good idea in two weeks who FSU needs to play catch-up on and who FSU is doing a great job with and stuff. You know, recruiting really is going to hit hyperdrive for FSU October 6th, 7th, 8th that weekend. 
Um, that was supposed to be last weekend, but, you know, Mother Nature had different plans. So everything kind of got halted and hit on pause and momentum kind of got stalled. And that's where we're at with FSU. But now they're, you know, back in it and rolling for 10 weeks and things will get going. Things will start happening. All right. I think that's a perfect place to, to stop the recruiting uh, segment of the podcast. Josh, do you have anything else you want to add before the ADHD or ADD or whatever you're calling it these days is uh, kicks in? Nah, man, it's kicking in. All right. All right. Well, thanks, I'm good. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Josh is gone. Bob Ferrante has joined us, and Christine has started the clock. Uh, literally, we got 20 minutes or uh, until uh, until we probably have rambled too much. So just, let's, just trying to keep us all on topic. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's talk about NC State football, guys. Games at noon on Saturday. Uh, Wolfpack are two and one right now. Uh, Florida State obviously zero and one, and has just been idle for the last. It'll be three weeks by the time they play on Saturday. It's been a just grind to get to this point for us covering the team. I'm sure for the fans, you guys listening to to, to get to this point, and then the team is just super anxious, ready to go. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Wolfpack. I guess what what they present, what kind of difficulties they could present for Florida State. Uh, Chris, start off with you. What's one aspect specific, and we'll get into all of it, but one that you look at as saying, okay, this is this is something that NC State can do either offensively, defensively, that can cause Florida State a lot of issues on Saturday? Well, I, I think it starts with the defensive front for NC State. They're talented and they're a veteran bunch up there. You know, Bradley Chubb's kind of the superstar of that bunch. He's yeah. going to have to be contained off the edge. You're going to have to chip him at times, use some seven-man fronts, things like that. He's just a talented guy. He gets after. He's got a great motor. He's a kid that plays really, really hard to the echo of the whistle. And they're just a veteran group up there. They're not going to be shell-shocked. They're going to try to bring pressure on a young quarterback for Florida State. So FSC's O-line is going to have to show up, play at a high level, play like they did against Alabama, maybe even a little better than that to protect the young in that they have behind them. And then on the flip side, I think with FSC's defense, I think their secondary has a real shot of kind of shutting down NC State. I think mm-hmm. T-Mac and their big boy on the outside match up really well. The place where FSU, I think, can be exploited by NC State is Jalen Samuel is kind of a Swiss Army knife. You can do a lot of different things, kind of try to create mismatches with him. And then Naheem Hines, a converted receiver who's working at running back. He's the kind of guy you throw a wheel route or something like that where you bring him out of backfield, try to mismatch with a linebacker, just turn it into a one-on-one down the field and try to exploit that. So I think that's what FSU has to watch out for. If I was NC State, I would, you know, try to pressure Blackman with a talented front, you know, force them to get rid of it quickly. Their secondary, in my opinion, NC State secondary isn't all that good. They're kind of susceptible to big plays. And then offensively, you know, I don't think NC State's passing game, despite Finley being, you know, very high percentage, 75%, having a ridiculous streak without a turnover, those are all impressive things. But their offense is kind of a dink and dunk, work real hard, you know, decent chunk on each passing attempt. You know, it's not pathetic, but – they're not the type that strikes me as though they're just going to bomb you down the field. Yeah. You know, they're going to have to work for it unless they get something out of backfield that tricks you up. And I think that's where they can attack FSU. Death by, death by paper cut for that. that, that to a degree, attack. yeah. yeah. Uh, Bob, what about you when you've done research? What's kind of area for, for NC State that stands out that's, that's impressive to you? I Kind of as Chris said, I think Finley is a really efficient passer, not, not remarkable in the sense that he's going to knock your socks off like previous NC State NFL-bound quarterbacks. He's not – you know, a Philip Rivers, a Mike Glennon, a Russell Wilson, but he's he's going to do some damage. I think he's going to, you know, mix up the ball and move it around a good amount. Mm-hmm. Um, Force has done really well historically against Jalen Samuels, but he's a guy who is still going to get his touches. He'll get opportunities in the running game and in the passing game. 
it's, it's really just keeping an eye on number one and making sure you know exactly where he is, where he's lined up. He doesn't run the ball all that much anymore. I think there's only eight carries in three games right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I expect NC State to throw some different wrinkles and different looks out there at Florida State. And, you know, from Florida State's standpoint on offense, I think they've got a huge advantage of time. You know, they, NC State has not seen any film of, of James Blackman. They're looking at huddle highlights to try and figure out what kind of quarterback they're going to see. That has to be just, you know, bizarre for all those coaches and assistants and analysts to have to go and just watch random huddle highlights and, and, and figure we, out. That's what we've been doing to, to figure is looking at huddle to try to figure so, out what the kid is. Yeah, it's it's really, I mean, when when was the last time that's happened for in a college game? What's, you know, they're going into their fourth game for the Wolfpack. They mm-hmm. have to figure out who this guy is. So, so Jimbo has the luxury of kind of this wild card. Mm-hmm. Wolfpack won't know what's coming at him. Plus, Jimbo's had three weeks kind of to figure out what he wants to do and, and put together a game plan and, and see, you know, how he can tailor it to, to James's strengths, which mm-hmm. is going to be kind of interesting. This is where Jimbo makes his money as a head coach, I think, is, as far as putting something creative together. All right. Well, let's, let's look at NC State's offense specifically, going more depth there. Uh, with what they have. You guys both talked about Ryan Finley. Uh, looking at his numbers right now, he's completed 75.6% of his passes for 987 yards. Uh, it's a healthy 7.8 yards per attempt, six touchdowns. Chris said no interceptions. Very efficient with the football. Um, he, you know, It's some dinking and dunking. They're going to throw a lot of stuff over the middle of the field. Slant patterns are going to try to do a lot of misdirection. They run primarily out of the pistol formation, uh, which is going to kind of create some, some balance issues because uh, you don't know what you can do on any given play. For NC State, I, I like Finley. He gave Florida State a relatively hard time last year. He he is a guy who knows what he is. He's comfortable with his skill set. Um, and I would say, like, try to try to force him. He doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, try to force him into third and long. But he's actually been really good on third and long this year. Uh, on third and seven and nine to go, he's completed 83% of his passes for 98 yards. <laughs> That's a whopping quarterback rating of 220. And then third and four to six to go. Uh, he's completed uh, four or five passes, uh, so he's been efficient on third down pretty much this this season. Um, I think you you can do is try to try to force him to beat you deep, though. I think that's what you're going to see a lot of cover too. Uh, try to take away the middle of the field, you know, you know five to ten yards deep. Uh, take away the flat, force him to beat you deep. That that would be kind of my strategy for Florida State. He's a good quarterback, but he's certainly not dynamic. Yeah, it's for, to continue on that. Two receivers for them, Samuels, 26 receptions. Harmon, that's a big man on the outside. That will probably match up with T-Mac, 24 receptions. That's 50 of the 98 receptions for them on the season. And those are guys who are probably having shorter passes, presumably, right? right? Well, Harmon's kind of been a jump ball artist to some degree, but against T-Mac, I don't think you can find a lot of success doing that. That's a guy that physically can match up with you and compete with you for the ball in the air. And with Samuels, FSU has done a fairly good job. Bob took a look at this in an article this week about him being a Swiss Army knife, and then he included the stats. FSU has done a fairly good job of keeping Samuels contained, not allowing him to beat you. If you take away those two, then the next man up is Naheem Hines, talented running back who's a converted wide receiver. He's a guy that can do a little bit of everything for them. He, uh, you know, They can use him out of backfield. He can be a threat in that way. And if I was them, I think that's how I'd attack FSU. He's not a great running back. I mean, he's got 39 attempts for about 200 yards this year, so he's averaging five per touch, two touchdowns on the ground. Overall, their rushing attack as a whole isn't all that impressive. It's kind of led by him and Gillespie. So if FSU does a good job of kind of neutralizing Samuels, the Swiss Army knife, and also taking Harmon away, the big receiving threat, then I really don't think they have a whole lot of offensive weapons they can fall back on. All right, now let's transition to uh, 
to Florida State's uh, offense and how it's going to look against NC State's uh, defense, which going into the season is supposed to be really good. Um, a lot of people were talking about that defensive line as being as one of the best in the country. Hasn't quite lived up to those expectations yet, but still really good. We mentioned uh, Bradley Chubb earlier. Uh, Bob, through your research, what have you seen you know, about NC State's defense that you think could, could cause some problems for Florida State? I think Florida State's pass protection was, was far improved against Alabama, and that's, that's an encouraging first sign. And now they've had three weeks to kind of you know, regroup and, and show some progress going into the game against NC State. This is a top 10 defensive line. This is one of the best defensive lines that Florida State's going to see all year. I don't think it's Alabama caliber. They've probably seen a better defensive line already, so that's an encouraging thing. But, you know, I think in general we're not going to see James Blackman have a lot of time to read the field. He's going to have to make some really quick decisions, and that's tough when you're a first-time starting quarterback. But if James is able to have a little bit of time, he can kind of survey the field. He can take some shots downfield. Um, and this is a secondary for the Wolfpack that is clearly a weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, this is – this is the soft spot. This is where James can use the height advantage of the receivers if he can build some chemistry and connect with them downfield, take some shots. If, if he gets an early interception, so be it. But, you know, go for it and really take some, take some chances and see, you know, what, what things play out in Florida State's favor. This is going to sound kind of cliche, but, but with a young quarterback, you want to get that running game, go in to take pressure off of him. But it kind of bears mentioning, like, Florida State's running game is trying to get going, too, because it didn't do a whole lot against Alabama. Jimbo Fisher more or less you know, abandoned it. He said they didn't, but, but they kind of had to because the way that, that game went. Uh, but you're trying to get Jacquez Patrick figuring out what his role is going to be going forward. Is he the feature back? Is he more of a complimentary guy? Is Cam Akers your feature back? We didn't see Amir Rasul at all against Alabama. So as much as they're trying to get Justin Blackman going, uh, I think it's going to be really important to start getting an idea of what, what you're running. Darn, I said Justin Blackman. I knew I was going to. What I wasn't going to correct you. But and, and to just, uh, you're good for one every pod. <laughs> look behind the curtain here. This is our second time recording this freaking thing. Because, Don't give that away. No, I'm going to because of the damn corruptions. <laughs> the damn corruptions. Russia hacked my freaking computer. Uh, but you want to get Blackman comfortable with that running game. But, but it's a really good run defense that Florida State is going to be going against with NC State. They're eighth nationally. Uh, and the S&P metrics. Um, so we want to kind of see, I guess, what, what Cam Akers can do, what Patrick can do. Do you think, Chris, that they're going to have a chance to establish the run with consistency this week? Yeah, you, you got to play a good down and distance game, and that comes with being an effective running team. And NC State's allowing a little over 80 per game to opponents, but that's kind of tilted because South Carolina only had about 35, 31, something in that ballpark mm-hmm. on the ground against them in the opener. Furman ran it, ran, <clears throat> Furman ran it relatively Our effectively against them. <laughs> and then Marshall, it was kind of a mixed bag. It was more so on the South Carolina end of the spectrum. So they're obviously good up front. You know, Contavious Street and Chubb setting the edge, and yeah. then you got Beef in the middle with B.J. Hill and Justin Jones. The, the defensive line averages like 290 yeah. pounds. Yeah, like I mean, they're big old boys. Yeah. When your two DNs are 275 and 287, you know, you're not, you're not going to get tossed around. So with FSU, it's going to come down to being effective up front, hitting the holes, you know, allowing the opportunities to come, and being willing to live with four yards per game. Mm-hmm. You know, go for four, go for four, set yourself up with second and six, third and two, put James Blackman in situations where he's comfortable, he can go play action, you can do some things. FSU's passing game to me in this game is going to be somewhat dictated by that NC State defense. If they're ultra-aggressive, it's going to need to be a quick attack, 
or, you know, one read and go kind of thing. And the wide receivers are going to have to battle. They're going to have to do their job on the outside. But the running backs are going to be utilized a great deal if you're going to have to get rid of it quickly. Same with the tight ends. Mm -hmm. Now, some of those guys might have to stay in as extra protection. In those cases, you're going to have to be able to hit the big play. So, for me, with Blackman against that defense, it's going to be be effective on the short stuff. Keep yourself moving. Keep the chains short. And when the opportunity comes to go vertical, take advantage of the fact that, you know, they're secondary. Guys like Nick McLeod at corner, Jonathan Alston at corner, they're struggling. They're not great. Their safety plays pretty good with Dexter Wright and Jarius Moorhead. And then they got the nickel with Sean Boone, who's their most veteran guy in that secondary, the most talented you, you, guy. Is he the one that they uh, they picked on last year for the Yeah, touchdown? I believe Boone's the, the one that had the dropped interception that would have pretty much ensured a loss. Yeah. Next. And Boone's a Florida kid. He's from South Florida, West Palm Beach kid. Mm-hmm. Talented kid, though. He knows what he's doing back there. But those corners have had issues they've given up three passing plays of 34 or more yards for a touchdown in their first three games mm-hmm. this year so they're susceptible to the big passing play but i think in fsu's case it's going to be picking your spots for that it's not going to be just dropping back and flinging it it's going to be set up the big passing play by getting in an effective play action situation mm-hmm. where they're going to have to play honest and you might have a shot yeah jimbo fisher said with with managing uh james blackman is you know sometimes the best time to pass the ball is is on a running down because that's what the defense is, you know, not, so, so a lot of this is going to be on Jimbo to kind of, I don't want to say even be creative. He's just going to have to be super in tune with his young quarterback and put him in, in positions. And, and before we kind of wrap this up, because we don't want this to go too much longer with, with Blackman, uh, because what are your guys' expectations? We've talked about, we've, we've beaten this to death so, so far because it's all we've had to talk about for three weeks. But do we think Blackman's capable of giving FSU a more, Maybe not as much of a potent offensive attack, but a, but a more consistent one based on what we've heard and the way they're going to kind of manage things around him. I think they're capable of being fairly explosive. Okay. I think against NC State, if they're able to kind of handle that rush that NC State can produce honestly up front, that, you know, give Blackman a few seconds, allow the route to develop, allow him to go vertical. I think they're going to be able to do that. He's got a huge arm. FSU has ability at the receiver and tight end spots and at running back that allows them to kind of get in the free, get running out there and turn plays into big plays. And I think with Blackman, you're going to have to pick your punches, but your punches need to be haymakers. Mm-hmm. I think Florida State's really capable of being balanced and using the, the ground attack and the taller receivers. It's going to be a huge advantage. I think you know, we'll see Florida State use a lot of play action too and, and kind of see if you know James – James Blackman can buy some time. Well, you, almost, you almost did the Justin Blackman. You're infecting us all. I was close. <laughs> I was close. You know, and I think we talked about this earlier too, is, is this, this has a potential to be a, a not-so-pretty ball game. This yeah. could be on the ugly side. It could be, could be more punts. could be a little bit uglier where, where drives aren't able oh, to be FSU sustained. It doesn't come down to punting. And you don't want it to come down to punting. But I think we could see a lower-scoring game. We could see some frustration on both sides where – you know, coach is going to have to calm down the players and, and keep them in. But in the end, you know, we all kind of think Florida State's going to come out ahead in the end. It just doesn't matter by how much mm-hmm. or, or what James' stats are. You know, whether he has one interception or not or two, whatever. How many touchdowns? doesn't really matter. Just want to see the offense kind of click and get moving at times and yeah. build him some confidence and see the chemistry with the receivers too. Yeah, you want to see how he kind of manages the game. Jim always says that the game manager kind of – it's got a negative connotation, but that's one of the number one things you look for in a quarterback. So going into this, we'll do the scores and predictions for Friday uh, at, at around noon. We'll post that story. But but right now we, we all think Florida State wins, right? It just may be in different ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Bob's expecting an ugly one. I think FSU has a chance of kind of taking it to them, but that's very much going to hang on how they handled those first about seven, eight minutes of that game. Mm-hmm. If offensively FSU can't protect up front and NC State's able to play honest up front, you know, with only four or five guys coming and pressuring and allowing a lot of guys to drop back, it's going to be a difficult day for any quarterback, and especially one making their first career start as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. But if FSU's able to block up, up well up front, they're going to be able to hit some of those big plays. It's what NC State's going to give up. And then defensively, I think FSU needs to set the tone. They're the bus driver. They're the yeah. guys that are going to lead this team wherever they're going. And I'm going to let you talk more about that because I know you're biting your tongue on that right now. But You know you that because that's all I want to talk about, the first recording. Right, but, <laughs> I mean, FSU's defense can set the tone. Mm-hmm. NC State is not an offense that's built for big plays. They're capable of They have a couple guys that can do things, Naheem Hines, Jalen Samuels. We've showcased those guys. Mm-hmm. But they're not a high-octane, high-powered offense. Mm-hmm. They're much more of a dink-and-dunk, put-it-together kind of offense. FSU can get them off the field, get their offense back on the field. FSU gets up in this game by 10, 14 points. That, that's horrible for NC State. They're not built to play that kind of ball game. They want to play a ball game that's a three to seven point game constantly, where you can kind of mud it up, shorten the game, you know, just an awful, dreadful kind of game to watch. Mm-hmm. FSU, if they can come out and play a high flying game, can kind of take it to this team. But that's a big if with a true freshman quarterback. Yeah, it is on the defense to set that tone and not just be good containing like it was against Alabama, where it was really good in, in long sport spurts, but maybe not making game-changing plays. Like, I think this defense needs to shorten the field, needs to create turnovers, needs to do things that gets the offensive ball back quickly so that way uh, James Blackman can get into a rhythm and stay in a rhythm. Uh, Florida State's going to go as far as this defense takes it this season because, that, like you said, the bus driver, I think that's a good a good phrase, Chris, is, is this is the, the unit that's going to lead the team. Uh, so I think the way it matches up against NC State, uh, I think Florida State's defense is going to keep them relatively in check. It did a pretty good job against NC State last year, and that team was more dynamic on offense with, with having Matt Days. Uh, had Finley, that was at NC State, uh, and FSU didn't have Derwin James. So I think all those factors lead into I think Florida State defense is going to be really good. I think it's going to put in its offense in a good position to score on some shorter fields, and, and if that does happen, I think Florida State wins by double digits. I do think it's going to have ugly elements, like Bob said, Ultimately, I think Florida State wins this uh, going away. And most of all, special teams can't sabotage FSU. They don't have to be good, but they can't be bad You just either. can't be uh, giving up you know, yeah. 14 points or however much it was directly or indirectly. If, if, if you're playing a game where you want to win field position, your special teams can't annihilate your opportunities to win yeah. field position. Good luck or good news, Florida State fans, as NC State allowed a, uh, a kickoff return for a touchdown on its first play of the 2017 season, season yeah. against uh, South Carolina. So. Yeah, maybe Keith Gavin will uh, will break one. Um, maybe he won't fumble it. I don't know. All right, getting punchy because, again, second recording, I think it's a good place to stop. But, hey, real football. Real football is here. Uh, we're excited. Hopefully you guys are excited and, and made it this far. It's been almost three weeks, so we're looking forward to it. Hopefully you all enjoy the game. We'll be back on Monday. For the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Chris, Bob, Josh earlier joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple days.